are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Over. Roger, Roger. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Over. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Hello friends and good morning. My name is Dinah and you're listening to Thought Bubbles on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. There's quite a bit to talk about this week as there was a lot of new news from the last couple days. But to start off, I want to say happy anniversary to the Fantastic Four, whose first issue was released 60 years ago on last Sunday. Uh, I've talked a bit about them on my show before because they are one of my favorite superhero groups of all time. So in honor of that, I was reading some early Fantastic Four, like the first few issues, and it's certainly not my favorite because it kind of takes a little bit to get going. Once they get into, like, 40s and 50s issues, I think it really picks up, and one of my first shows was talking about exactly how much I love that series of runs with the introduction of the Inhumans and Galactus and the Silver Surfer and White Wingfoot, the first appearance of Black Panther. There's this good chunk in there, like, starting with issue 48 which is the appearance of Galactus, um, that is just, like, some of the best Fantastic Four writing ever. I think it's one solid hit after another. It's just so much fun to read. And another one of my favorites, which I don't think I've talked about before, is Wade's Fantastic Four run, um, which is such a delight. I think, actually, I talked about it on my Instagram when I made it one of my comic recs of the week, so I'm going to go ahead and second that here. The dynamics in the book are such a blast because one of the things that I love the most that he does is pairs up, for example, Sue and Ben a lot, who are... The the standard dynamic of the Fantastic Four is obviously they're all a family and they all love each other and get along great, but usually you have Sue and Reed because they're married, so that's a very obvious pair. Or Reed and Ben since they're old friends, or... Johnny and Ben as they bicker, which there's still plenty of in ways, but it's so delightful. But one thing that I love that he does is he really switches that up a lot. So there's a lot of Sue and Ben interacting, and not just interacting, but shown to be friends, which is one of my favorite things, because the Fantastic Four isn't just a team, they're a family. So one of the best things about their books is that family dynamic. So, like, they go to the movies together, and they take Franklin to the amusement park, and... Um, it's just such a blast getting to see these two characters who, especially in my opinion, are kind of the more overshadowed of the Fantastic Four. They both obviously have their moments, but overall I think are considered less interesting more times than not than Reed and Johnny, who are kind of the big brains and the flashy ones and thus get a little bit more front and center. So I really love that dynamic and how Wade plays that up a lot in his series, so... Definitely Wade's Fantastic Four is so much fun, and just, if you're looking for something to read in honor of the 60th anniversary of Fantastic Four, that's a great place to go. Again, the early Kirby and Stan from, like, issue 48 also, I love that so much, so go ahead and check those out if you feel like it. Um, but now I want to jump, I know I said that last week that I talked about Spider-Man, but... 
But before we get there, I want to jump straight into DC because whew, this was a big week for DC, starting with the release of um, Suicide Squad onto HBO Max and in theaters late last week, I believe a week ago now. I think it was Thursday. So I generally have not been as huge a fan of the DC movies recently as the MCU movies, and you all kind of know my thoughts on the MCU movies. I've spent a couple episodes now complaining about them. Not that I hate them overall, I think they're very enjoyable films, but more recently I've been kind of disappointed with them. So The Suicide Squad I thought was a sort of wonderful change of pace. It was a very enjoyable film in my opinion, um, and an absolute blast. With one of my favorite parts about it was that it had a very strong comic book feel to it, which is something that I think is it, it really elevates the films a lot when they're treated as comic book films because they are about comic book characters and about superheroes, which obviously comic books can have both more fun and playful and lighthearted or more serious tones. But in my opinion, there's just a feel to comic books that, regardless of that, get lost sometimes when it's being adop adapted into films, which is very interesting to explore the reality of superhero films and how, or superheroes and comic books and how changing them into film makes that more realistic by nature because that is what film and movies tend to be. But there's something about the Suicide Squad and also like Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey and Shazam that I thought had these really wonderful comic book feels to them that helped really keep them true to the original characters and the original stories. So um, I thought that added a lot to the film. And like I said, it's not meaning that it's comic bookish because the movie was lighthearted or silly, which it wasn't lighthearted. It was a bit silly, but also very gruesome, maybe even overly so at times, but there was this sense to the film that compared to, for example, Justice League or The Avengers, which try very hard to be grounded and gritty, um, this movie tells its story in a different way, and I think Yes Grounded, which you could debate whether you think that adds to the comic book feel or whether comic books can be just as grounded, specifically superhero comics, can be just as grounded um, as they can be silly. But I do think that overall comic books, especially superhero comic books, tend to be less grounded, so that does add to the vibes. Um, but one of the things that I thought added to this the most was these chapters and titles, especially on-screen titles that the movie employed, which... I guess I probably should have said this earlier, but obviously there will be spoilers in the next segment about the Suicide Squad film, so tread carefully if you haven't seen it yet. But it does have these chapters which, in my opinion, broke up the pace and passage of time within the film in a way that feels a lot more like comic books than just, I guess, movies that don't have this. Not necessarily, but... um. I thought it really added this sense of time in a way that feels a lot like the way that comic books are made up of issues, and you don't necessarily know everything that happens in between the gaps of these issues, even if they happen, like, one right after the other. 
it just it, it sort of breaks it up very interestingly and it breaks up the journey usually so i thought that added to that feel a lot as well as um like so for example when harley is breaking herself out of i don't know this palace or whatever it was and there's this moment where all these flowers start blossoming from behind her as she's like shooting a machine gun so those kind of graphics again it happens later in that scene when she finds the the spear or javelin and obviously movies especially comic book superhero films employ special effects and visual effects quite a lot but they tend to be more realistic or at least seemingly realistic special effects so i really loved these visual effects and especially the less realistic ones that are employed it's something employed far more frequently in comic books because just as a medium it's much easier to do so so for example um when you have like sound effects like crack pow and like even the adam west batman tv series had those and i think it just it really it's a very it help it just helps to move some of the elements from comics into film that adds a comic book element to this film while still keeping it in the the medium of film i don't i don't know it just i thought it, it gave this very fun and um comic bookish feel to the movie which really elevated it in my opinion same thing with the very bright colorful playful costumes um not just the ones that were directly influenced by comic book characters outfits but even like rick flag for most of the film is wearing a bright yellow graphic t-shirt which isn't the most realistic thing but they give him a plausible reason for why he's wearing that and it just adds that pop of color that you find in comic books more frequently that i thought just added a fun vibe to the movie and even for the more serious parts of the film just kind of reminded you of the origin of these characters and the origin of these stories and where it came from so i really enjoyed that i thought that was a lot of fun but to move into sort of more of the i guess plot of the film harley quinn i thought was really stand out in this film um she's a character that in the comics right now i'm not a huge fan of partly because i think they're trying too hard to make her a good guy too quickly and that's not really where i find her interesting nor do I really think it's working since there hasn't been a whole lot of build-up for it. So I thought that her place in the movie right now is kind of that sweet spot where she's not completely a villain, but she's still very much just morally aligned with herself. So when she does something, it's because she wants to, whether it's because it'll get her something she wants or she just thinks it's going to be a fun time, which is so often what Harley's motivated by. Yet that doesn't stop her from doing good things when it suits her, or when she feels like it. So I loved that a lot, and in addition, I just thought she was sort of very clearly and distinctly Harley Quinn. Her character just felt so much like herself, which I thought was super refreshing and very standout, especially when we've up until this point still had very few super female superheroes make it to the big screen. And although she's not quite a hero, her personality felt so much more distinctive than some of the others because even like Black Widow, who just had her own movie, up until that point has been a 
ensemble character, and in my opinion, one without a whole lot of depth. So it was really awesome seeing Harley, even in an ensemble film, really get to hold her own and really be so clearly Harley Quinn. And in addition to that, she's not sexualized at all. And yet, she still had super fun and cool outfits. Even if they were a bit impractical, the movie, again, establishes why that works, because it's, again, it's the comic book vibe that the whole movie has that means when they show her tear part of her dress and put on clunky men's boots that aren't really going to fit her, you just accept it because that's how comic books work, so that's how this movie works as well. They've already established those rules. They've established that this movie doesn't work by realistic or even movie realistic rules. They work by comic book rules, so you can get away with that. And also, in addition, I just thought her dress was super fun and fit Harley Quinn really well. In addition, her opening costume, which didn't last very long, was delightful and so reminiscent of Harley in the comics, again, without being one of her really extremely sexualized ones. So that was just a, a huge blast. And um, she stood very strong and personable. I do kind of wish that it was any other character because, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of Harley Quinn, and this is the her treatment in this film is kind of exactly what I, what I would have liked to see with Black Widow in her movie just a few months ago. Overall, the movie was very, very enjoyable, and especially for me because I actually didn't remember the trailer at all, so I didn't know Starro was going to be in it. So that was a very wonderful surprise, and it was overall a very joyous time, which is most of what I ask for from a superhero film. But moving on, the first episode of Titans on HBO Max is, I believe, tonight. So uh, that's something I'm very excited for. I talked about the trailer a few weeks ago, and most of this discussion I will save for next week when it's actually out and I have watched it. But I just wanted to drop in that reminder, since I'm talking about DC news, particularly live-action stuff. And just as a friendly reminder, you're listening to Thought Bubbles on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Dinah. And now to move into the most recent DC Comics news, um, I'm sure most of you listening to this have, if not read this, at least heard about it, but spoilers for the up for the most recent issue of Batman Urban Legends number six, particularly the Tim Drake story, I am very excited to announce that Tim Drake is... I'm actually not quite sure how to describe him because technically nothing about his sexuality has been confirmed in detail, but in the most recent issue he appears to have romantic feelings for his friend Bernard as the issue ends with Bernard asking him on a date. So mazel tov to him. I'm very excited personally. I think that this is something that the previous issues have hinted at a lot in the past two issues that this Tim story has been running in Urban Legends, but I was honestly unsure if they were going to follow through with it because, in my opinion, not just in comic books, but in media in general, the chances that explicitly LGBT stories get to be told is pretty slim, and particularly in comic books, which 
doesn't tend to, it's getting better, but historically doesn't have a great track record with that. So I'm really happy to see DC actually following through with this. And in my opinion, it's also a fairly monumentous thing for comics to make, especially such a long-standing character, and especially one from the Bat family, because the Bat family is kind of DC's untouchable, particularly Batman is a character that a lot of your, like, I don't want to say cishet white dude bro comic readers, but kind of your cishet white dude bro comic readers tend to grasp, gravitate towards and tend to have a very sp specific view of, so changing that doesn't always work super well. Uh, so I think it's a huge thing for them to make Tim, we'll say ambiguously, bisexual or gay for now, and in future issues we'll have more detail on that, but DC doesn't tend to change their characters in ways like this, not just DC. Comics in general tends to like to not mess with their characters too much, so it's a pretty monumentous thing to take a character who was previously straight and make them not straight. Um, there's been some of this with, like, Harley and Ivy and Selina and even Diana, though again there's a pattern here of this mostly being women and mostly being kind of morally gray or ambiguously aligned female characters, but yeah, I think it's super awesome. And I do think it's annoying that we have to wait so long for the next issue since it's, like, gonna be Urban Legends number 10, which will be, like, probably three months from now. But still, mazel tov to him. I hope it goes well. I hope they finish following through with it and don't cop out at the last minute still, although it's gonna be pretty hard to do so at this point. So yeah, I'm very proud of him. Congratulations, Tim. Okay, now for what I said this episode was going to be about last week, which is the early, and I mean very early, like, issues number one through ten of The Amazing Spider-Man by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee, which I have been reading recently. Um, and like most early comic books, these are not really my absolute favorite of them, but I adore reading these books so much. I think that the history of comic books is extremely fascinating and the history of individual characters and their growth throughout is like so fascinating to explore and says so much about these characters and who they used to be and who they were supposed to be and how they started out so I always love reading these and I've been having an especially enjoyable time reading Spider-Man because well, first of all, he's one of my favorite characters, but I think that also right from the start, like, these books are just incredible, and the stories are so thoughtful and say so much about Spider-Man right from the start, like, right from the get-go. It is so clear who this character is. Like, even looking at Amazing Spider-Man number one, uh, first of all, it's got the classic with great power comes great responsibility quote, which is actually something that I really want to talk about because the original quote is, with great power there must also come great responsibility, and the one that is sort of far more colloquial, 
colloquially, whatever, well-known is, like, with great power comes great responsibility, and it's such a subtle difference, but to me that difference is so, so important. Like, just, to me, with great power there must also come great responsibility, invokes this sense that the responsibility isn't innate. It's not something that you automatically receive when you get power, but rather that sort of having this power requires that every single time and every single day, like, power comes with a choice. You have to consciously make the choice to do good and do the right thing. That responsibility isn't innate. It's not a fact, but it is a choice. There must also come responsibility. It must be taken upon oneself to act in the best way because you can, because you have the power to do so. Um, it is like required that you take it upon yourself to use that power for forces of good, which I think also is so fundamentally Spider-Man and who the character of Spider-Man is because one of the main facets of Peter Parker being Spider-Man is that things almost always go wrong for him. Being Spider-Man almost always makes his personal life worse in incalculable ways. His girlfriends die. Everyone hates him as Spider-Man. Everyone thinks he's weak and a coward as Peter Parker. He gets bullied. J. Jonah Jameson hates Spider-Man and convinces everyone else to hate Spider-Man, and the police hate Spider-Man, and he misses out on romantic opportunities because he's busy saving people as Spider-Man, and he misses out on job opportunities because he's busy saving people as Spider-Man. And it's just this sort of constant beatdown. And yet, every single time, he still makes that choice to continue being Spider-Man and to continue helping people and continue saving people because he knows that it's what he has to do. He, It is more important to him that he help people. And this is something that even in these early comics is emphasized so strongly. Like, I have a speech bubble here that I'm pretty sure is from issue six. It's just a screenshot, so I'm not entirely sure, but I was reading this and it really stood out to me as emphasizing this moment. And the text bubble is, so he's, Peter is thinking about giving up the costume. He's like, is this too much trouble? Is it more trouble than it's worth to be Spider-Man? Should I just stop being Spider-Man? And his sort of thought right after that is, and yet I can't. I must have been given this great power for a reason. No matter how difficult it is, I must remain a Spider-Man. And I pray that someday the world will understand. So even here, this early on, it is so clear how definitive that choice is for him. Um, but it is still a choice. He grapples with it multiple times, and this isn't even the first issue that he's grappled with it. And like I said, it's within the first ten issues of the Amazing Spider-Man series at all, and I just think it's so wonderful and so telling, and says so much about being not just a superhero, but just a good person in general, that being good and being kind and helping the world every single day is a choice, even on the small human level, even if you're not Spider-Man. And it just really hammers home that lesson that anyone can be Spider-Man because anyone can be a good person, you just have to choose to. 
so yeah, I really love that. And I love that message in all Spider-Man books. Um, so I just, I wanted to bring that up. I think that's so special. Um, but also I want to keep talking about, maybe it was issue four, but regardless. So another issue that I really loved in the early ones was The Amazing Spider-Man number four, which is the first appearance of the Sandman, because Peter Parker, again, from the very first issue, we know he's a smarty pants. We know that he's science-oriented and studious and smart, smarter than his classmates and more focused on his studies than his classmates. Um, but when fighting the Sandman, that is so highlighted in his struggle and the fight that he has to give because in this one, it's really his brains and not his brawn that saves the day. In, I believe it's the Vulture story, which is, I think, Amazing Spider-Man number two. I read them all really quickly, so I kind of can't remember the order. But I think Amazing Spider-Man number two, um, Peter, kind of off-panel, figures out how the Vulture is, is flying, what is making his suit work, and builds a device to counteract that. But this is either off-panel or, like, in one or two panels and not really explained. But with the Sandman, he starts out just trying to sort of punch his way out of this situation. And it's in the middle of the fight that Peter kind of switches tracks and realizes this isn't working. And is really innovative in the way that he finds a way to stop the Sandman because... The Sandman has, has come to Peter's school, and Peter has changed into Spider-Man there unexpectedly and is fighting Sandman, and ends up tricking the Sandman in order to dissipate the Sandman so that he can use a vacuum to vacuum up the Sandman where he will be contained until the police arrive. And this isn't Peter building anything or even really planning in advance at all what to do. So it shows really on the, in the spur of the moment and on the fly, the way that his brain works and how quick and sharp he is and how dependent Peter is on not just his, his brawn, but his brains too. And how him being a hero is so much more than just being able to punch hard. And it really is his intelligence and his, his thought process that makes him Spider-Man and makes him such a good hero. So I thought that issue was really special and really stood out to me. And then just in general, like I was saying with Fantastic Four, how there's this long series of just one after the other amazing stories. <laughs> amazing. Um, The Amazing Spider-Man is the same here. It's like all of his iconic villains are introduced right away. Like the Vulture, Doc Ock is issue number three, which is also the first time that Peter sort of interacts one-on-one -on -one with Johnny Storm, and that becomes such a lifelong friendship for both of them, but I think it's fascinating how early on it is that, like, obviously I already knew this, but just reading it, it's like, Peter meets the Fantastic Four in issue number one of Amazing Spider-Man, and in issue number three, Johnny Storm saves Spider-Man because Peter's going to give it up until he hears Johnny's speech and thus is born a lifelong friendship between Peter and Johnny but also Peter becomes an essential 
friend, and sometimes member of the Fantastic Four. And these are relationships built right from the beginning, built right into the beginning of these stories, and are there from the foundation. So it's just so much fun, like, reading these and experiencing these first interactions that just also knowing these characters and then seeing them meet for the first time and really seeing that spark in that beginning is so joyful. So I always have such an incredible time reading these. We're running out of time, so I'm going to wrap it up with just saying also one thing that I find is really interesting is how it's really only Flash who's mean to Peter at the beginning. Like, he is nerdy and doesn't have a whole lot of friends, but not that many people are actually mean to him. They bemoan that he studies too much, but that's mostly preceded by inviting him out places that he can't go because he has to go do Spider-Man duties. And even Liz is often kind to him, despite her not really being interested in him past the fact that they're classmates. So that's actually, I kind of love that though, because obviously Peter being this dorky loner and then turning into Spider-Man is part of his charm and part of what makes him such a great hero. But again, I think it's sort of just the inherent good humanity of these stories that say that even these people who are bullying him, mostly it's just one person and the rest of them are mostly not too bad. So yeah, I just want to end on that. And then next week will be probably the first episode of Titans. Super excited for that. And then in addition to that, I've been reading the Blue Beetle series um, that introduces Jaime Reyes. So from 20, 2006. So I'll be talking about that as well, probably. And that's all the time I have for this show. So have a lovely rest of the week and a fantastic weekend. I'll be here again next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.